Well, welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you have come along. This is a very interesting show coming up, and I have been excited about this conversation, and I've heard about the content that we're going to talk about here for a while, but now it's going to be exciting to talk to one of the people who's leading that process, but you'll just have to wait a second. First, I want you to know that this podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we're excited to say we just have been approved by the Global Methodist Church to train pastors for ordained ministry there, in addition to their course of study. So if you're in that tradition or you're becoming a part of that tradition, we would love for you to check us out at wbs.edu. And for anybody else, too, we don't discriminate against any denominations. We're not affiliated with one particular denomination. We come from the even evangelical Wesleyan holiness tradition, and we have a variety of programs serving church leaders, and we'd love for you to look into our school a little bit more. Secondly, I'm thankful to my friend Keith Waters, who with his company, WPO Development, helps churches, schools, nonprofits all over the country work through a plan from mission planning study to strategic plans to capital campaigns to really develop a vision for where they're going and how they can actualize it. And Keith has done this with his team for more than 250 organizations and has been incredibly successful. And I've worked with him in the past, and I'm glad to recommend him and his company to you. Find a link to his firm, WPO Development, in the show notes. And finally, I have a free resource available for people, <clears throat> Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching. It's a 45-minute mini course that I offer that has a, an eight-page doc, document that you can use to study scripture better and then to think about the congregation you're serving in a way that is creative. So I really love for you to check that out. You can get that free resource at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. Well, I am delighted to invite in to welcome into the podcast Dr. Stephen Nichols, who serves as the president of Reformation Bible College in Sanford, Florida, and is a chief academic officer for Legionnaire Ministries. Dr. Nichols, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation together. Absolutely. Well, what I I didn't actually realize that you're the president of Reformation Bible College until I did a little more research. I was at first just interested in uh, the work that you're doing with Ligonier through the State of Theology um, survey, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But could you tell us a little bit about Reformation Bible College first? Yeah. Well, we have the same founder as Ligonier Ministries. R.C. Sproul founded Ligonier back in 1971, and okay, in 2011. He founded Reformation Bible College. When the study center opened its doors, you had to go to the Ligonier Valley outside of Pittsburgh. It was life-on-life -life discipleship. The teaching was all in person. Then, of course, it grew into cassette tapes and video cassettes, and it became an international ministry and use of the internet and a worldwide reach. But R.C. visited uh, Geneva, and it was wow. impressed upon him that the reformers all were involved in colleges and mm -hmm. in starting colleges. And so in 2011, he opened the doors for Reformation Bible College. We call it our sort of back to the future uh, initiative here at, at Ligonier with bringing students onto our campus, life on life uh, discipleship. It's just undergrads not a okay. seminary. Uh, RC, RC said, you know, by the time they get to seminary, they already know everything. Uh, <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted undergrads because he wanted to shape their minds, right? Um, yeah. So 
so yeah, so it's, and I got down here in 2014 and it's just been a delight and God has blessed us with the growing campus, a delightful student body. Uh, so yeah, it's wonderful to be part of uh, RBC. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So RC Sproul, a lot of people will know his name, but some people won't. Um, I right. know he's passed away in the last few years. So give us, a, right. I, I imagine you had some interaction with him as well. So just tell us a little bit about RC Sproul. Yeah, well, the main thing you need to know about him is he's from Pittsburgh, and that oh, there you go. You're from Pittsburgh, you know. That's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, this is he's born just before World War II. It, it's a it's a different era, right? Uh, and then he's grown up in the '50s in the local neighborhood outside of Pittsburgh. Goes to college, uh, Westminster College, which is an historically Presbyterian college. But when he gets there, it's you know, long since left its its uh, original moorings and intentions, but he goes to college and gets converted, um, wow. and he begins immediately for the first time really reading the Bible, and he comes to the realization that this is a God who plays for keeps, mm. and the idea that really is central to RC. In fact, he says it's central to the Bible is the holiness of God. Yeah. And uh, that is his classic textbook, comes from 1984. If there's any book of RCs you want to read, it's Holiness of God. Yeah. But as I mentioned, in 1971, God used him to open a study center there in the Ligonier Valley. And it was just teaching. That's all it was, it was teaching okay. Bible, teaching theology. And, and actually what he said, we want a place where Christians can come for answers. Okay. Just as today is a tumultuous moment in American culture. The late 60s, early 70s was a tumultuous moment, and he wanted a place where Christians didn't have to feel like they had to run from the questions or compromise to answer the questions, but that we could answer these questions. And so open the study center. God bless the ministry. Now it has an international reach. We're functioning in somewhere near 38 languages with active websites in 12 languages, um, and God has just continued to bless this ministry. It's a teaching ministry is okay. Ligonieris. But it's not, it, is it, it, obviously your college is academic institution and you serve as the yeah. academic chief academic officer for Ligonier, but it's not like a degree. Uh, no, it's just institution. Exactly. It's just teaching resources. And gotcha. we put tons of this stuff out as for free as we can, obviously some of what we sell, but you know, we have uh, Ligonier.org is the website. We've got teaching series on there. We have a Ligonier app, which has all kinds of teaching series loaded on it, daily daily teaching. And that's really what we are. We're just a teaching ministry to come alongside of the church and assist the church in that wonderful task of discipleship. Amen. I love it. Well, I've been interested. I was interested in R.C. Sproul. Comes from a different theological tradition as me, but still in the broad evangelical tradition. So I've always just appreciated his fervor. But he had a certain charisma that he was did. just unique and 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 drew people to him. And looking back at some of the videos that Ligonier put out, probably just if if you just YouTube R.C. Sproul, you're going to find some really interesting things. He just, he just was kind of a cutting edge figure with the approach that he had and using a use of video just was what was it about him i mean there i don't I have a hard time putting it into words but he he had a magnetism to him he did uh he, he i think i i looked at it as or i look at it as he genuinely cared about people wow yeah. and when he spoke and taught he cared about you and you feel like he cares about you mm. uh, and he's also just a great teacher 
Um, so, so that just comes off uh, and comes across in the teaching. And I think, you know, he was gripped by God and was in his conversion and then his realization that this is a holy God that we come before. And that passion uh, that was personal, you, you get a sense of that as well as it comes out. But the other thing I've always appreciated about him was he's off very, very, very conservative theologically. Yeah. All for cutting edge use of technology. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he gave Ligonier its mission statement, and it's to proclaim the holiness of God to as many people as possible. And so he's doing VHS tapes in 1974. Wow. Uh, They had to mail churches cassette recorders so they would have something to play the video cassettes on because nobody had cassette recorders in 1974. So, Uh, So very funny. In my denomination, I grew up in the Salvation Army, and yes. my um my grandfather served as the national leader of the Salvation Army, kind of like a bishop like oh, wow. figure. Yeah. And uh, he's a very and I mean this without not disrespecting him or the Salvation Army, but it's a very controlling system. And he was a part in the mid '80s when he was in leadership. They had to decide this they had this big task, rather or not, they would embrace. Videotapes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like, can Salvation Armies buy video uh, VHS yes. players? Now, my grandfather actually opted for, I, don't, I can't remember the name of an alternative technology. Said no. And he, so he said no. And he's a, prog- a kind of progressive thinker, leader type. But yeah. he went, and so then they said, you can only have, it's just to show you, that's the mid 80s. So in the 70s, R.C. Sproul's already doing this. So that, it really was revolutionary. It was. That's very funny. Well, one of the things that's interesting, I have really appreciated from League of Near Ministries is this state of the theology, state of theology survey that you come out with on a regular basis. And I've heard about it through the years. And and, and oftentimes it's troubling, but it's also helpful. I mean, right. one of the things, <laughs> so tell tell us about that. When did this start, the state of theology um, uh, survey that you guys have put out? And, and, and what's the foundation like uh, theoretically for it? Sure. Well, you know, the first rule of speech is know your audience, right? And so all of us in Christian ministry, we need to know our audience. And so we all have the anecdotal sense of things of where culture is theologically and where it may be have slipped over years or what we're really dealing with. We wanted to come alongside of that anecdotal evidence and data and bring some good, solid survey data. Okay. This goes back to 2014 is actually when I first got down here is one of the first projects I was involved in and have been involved in very intimately since. And so it's a project near and dear to my heart, uh, but this is taking the theological temperature of both uh, because the way we do the demographics, both the United States culture and the United States general population, but also we can dig in and get a little sense of evangelicals within that as a subcategory in addition to the gender categories and age group and education and region of the country, this sort of typical things. We partner with Lifeway Research, which is the research arm of the Southern Baptist, very reputable research firm. We uh, sample uh, 3,000 every year we do it. Uh, Most of your political national Pew polls or Gallup polls are 1,000. Right, interesting. Um, Ours is a 3,000 
So it's a, it's a, uh, from the statistical data, I don't do, do with that side, but from the pollster statistical side, it is a solid reputable poll. Uh, we've been doing yeah. it since 2014. So we've got the snapshot. Uh, we do it every other year. So okay. we've got the snapshot of 2022, but we've got some uh, um, longitudinal data as well. So we can take a look at trends, which I think yeah. is so cool. Um, so, and it's all there. This is really a service to the church. We want we want folks to see this. This is great for pastors to see. We've heard of youth group uh, youth leaders who are using this with their with their kids in a youth group to think about doctrine. I've even uh, was told at one time that Evangelical Free Church was using it as part of their ministerial training. Interesting. Um, and on our website, if you do a deep dive into the questions, we show what the answer is biblically and trace trace out biblical texts to go and study so you can see what the Bible teaches about this. So it's it's both a temperature barometer, uh, temperature taking mechanism, but also hopefully a teaching tool that we would love for the church to just use in the best way they can. Yeah, that is great. And I think it's helpful for you to set it up like that because when it comes out, and I think you do a great job getting it out on a publicity stamp from a publicity standpoint, but at the same time, it's, 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 tends to be troubling. Like we're not going in a, in a positive direction. <laughs> yes. and, and so it's, I really like how you set it up there. This is a teaching tool. Like one thing that's coming to mind now is like, you could just take these questions. You could form a, a, a sermon series based upon them. Like, okay, you can say, well, while this might be the trend in evangelicalism or in America as a whole in the United States, um, it's not going to be the trend in my church. I'm going to talk about the divinity of Christ. And we're like, at least you heard it once from me. (laughs) And yeah. And, you know, as you bring up the deity of Christ, this is the other thing. We're we're not looking for theological minutia here or the marginal stuff. We really, it's, it's doctrine of scripture, doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ. What is salvation? And then some cultural issues just to see how they come into play. But we're, we're really talking about doctrines that are part of the historic Christian Orthodox faith um, that we're trying to gauge. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and even though like some people might know with Legionnaire Ministries, okay, well, we might disagree with where R.C. Spohl was on uh, on Perseverance of the Saints or something like that. Well, that's not a part of this at all. I'm curious, before we get into some of the data itself, though, um, what is the distinction be- on who makes up an evangelical in this survey? Like, how uh, yeah. do you define the, in this one, the, the hardest term? We still use it. And I'm thankful for it. And I proudly call myself an evangelical most of the time. Um, but I'm just curious how you define that with this survey. I'm right there with you personally. My, my hobby uh, is American church history. Okay. I'm very intrigued by this label evangelical. It's been, it's become very, it's essentially today, it's a political voting block is how sure. the press uses it. Right. Um, we know it's a very elastic term. <laughs> And I wonder if it's so elastic that one of these days it's just going to snap. Yeah, sure. But for the, so I, I'd love to have a longer conversation with you someday about this because I'm with you. I'm intrigued by it. But two ways. One is they can self identify as okay. an evangelical. The second way is Lifeway partners with the National Association of Evangelicals. And at the end of our survey, the NAE has added four questions. That this was historically what we used to call the Bebbington quadrilateral. Sure. 
that would identify what an evangelical is. Conversionism must be born again. Activism, it's a faith that is engaged in, you know, serving people and, and um, communicating the gospel. Crucicentrism, which is Christ at the center and that Christ died and that Christ died for me. And then Biblicism and taking the Bible seriously. That was called the Bebbington. He was a church yeah. historian. The Bebbington Quadrilateral. The NAE sort of massaged those a little bit and you'll find those. They're the last four questions. Okay, okay. So, so that becomes a sort of content way to define an evangelical. But for the most part, when we say general population, evangelical, it's those who have self-identified. Gotcha. So in your survey, it could be anybody who calls himself an evangelical. Exactly. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the Bebbington quadrilateral, so to speak, is definitely... A good place to start, and it's you know, something. He, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a nice people tour. Yeah, on my podcast, you know, talking about that. Where uh, I, but kind of my academic work is in 19th century England, and oh, um, so it's right, right yeah. in his alley. And I've talked to people yeah. about it. And of course, he never. He, you know, if you read the book where he started this, you know, he, that tradition from 1730s on, he wasn't. Th- he was just trying to think. All right, this is what I mean when I say evangelical. Exactly. It wasn't meant probably anything for the United States, but there yeah. is something that that sticks with this that works. So I'm glad that you incorporate that from the NAE side. But at the same time, one of the challenges, of course, is that when people just self-identify, it's hard to. But it's. It, it, they, they could be somebody who doesn't, doesn't even attend church. And, and that's part of what, what comes up in this survey as well. But nevertheless, like, I think it, I think it's a helpful, helpful tool to use. It provides some distinction for them mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Right. Let's get into this survey. So I, uh, what, what is, what's the most uh, positive piece that you see coming out of the survey? I saw a couple of things. There was a couple of good moves, but otherwise I'm not excited. It's a real challenge to the preachers who are listening to this podcast and teachers to realize what our task is. But what's, what's the best news from this survey this year? If we move away from, uh, a, a, well, I do believe it's a theological question because it gets at the heart of the image of God and being human. But we have a question about abortion as a statement, rather abortion is is a sin. And um, that answer is one of the few, uh, that statement rather is one of the few statements where the results are trending in the right direction. Yeah. And especially what's interesting is you can go back in and break this stuff up demographically. So when you go into the younger age group, it's even trending better among wow. younger than, and I mean, young adults, uh, 18 to 28, right? So it's trending better among them than uh, their seniors. And, you know, we talk about this and I, you know, this is the group that grew up with their siblings sonograms on the refrigerator. Yeah. So they didn't grow up uh, with the womb as a black box. They grew up knowing that there's a breathing human formed inside there and they had the picture to prove it. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting that question has definitely is trending in the positive direction. And um, you know, that's very encouraging. So there's one. Yeah, that that's great. I love that one because it's moved in, in 2016, 87% agreed that abortion was a sin amongst evangelicals, but now that is at 91% and it's, it's gone up at each year. So I think that is a very positive thing. Yeah. And I think it's closer to 96, 97 when you go into that oh, okay. 18 yeah. to 28, which is even more encouraging. So, yep. 
Well, That's I encourage one. people to go to this. <laughs> even as we're talking, you could take a look at this uh, theology state of the state of theology.com. It's a very interactive place uh, website, and you can see uh, data from uh, more than just the way they break down, but it's graphically done great. I appreciate that you guys have made this so accessible to somebody who's not in the stats like me. <laughs> yeah, it's a the yeah the folks who put that together did a really good job. I, I I find myself playing around on it because it's just very intriguing and informative, but also well done. So good yeah, I liked it. Well, one of the first one first piece that comes up is the nature of God. And yes. it's, it's a bit of a, like, you don't say it's like process theology or something like that, but you say the, the statement is um, rather than not, people would agree with this statement. God learns and adapts to different circumstances and yeah. 51% in the U S not, right. not evangelicals agreed with that. Yes. Is that an, is that a new statement? Cause that one, I didn't see as much older data on. Yeah, that one is, um, I think it's a modification of one. And okay. so uh, what, when we do that, if we modify it far, it sort of becomes a new one. If we just sort of tweak it, we keep the longitudinal data. Yeah, no, that one is important because this is this is the historic classic theism of the immutability, immutability of God. And right, sure. God does not change. We love the hymn. There is no shadow of turning with thee. And yeah. that is our only hope that God doesn't change. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. And now we'll see this. This is what's really sad about this. Evangelicals don't trail too far behind the general population on these things. So you mentioned 51% pop general population, yeah. 47 or 48% rather evangelicals agree with that statement. Wow. So statistically, they're really not that far off. Basically, half of evangelicals and half of the American population believe that God learns and adapts and changes and is a creature like us. Wow. And that what I know we can't say what leads to this exactly. I mean, what the source of that, why would folks make this change now it, yeah. it, the trending though makes you wonder if there's if there's a cause to it do you have any ideas on that any thoughts yeah you know i i think it's it, it comes back to what is the church's task yeah. and it, it is to teach the word of god you know you, you that beautiful scene where paul's gathered with the ephesian elders and he says i did not shrink back from teaching you the whole counsel of god right and um you know, you think what a what a mess Ephesus was as this massive city, Roman pagan uh, debauchery, horrible ethic. Paul could have spent all his time engaged in culture and politics. Right. <laughs> uh, what's he doing the whole time he's in Ephesus? He's teaching the whole counsel of God right. because it's, the, it's that timeless word of God, the timeless truth of the word of God that helps us stand in our in our moments. Yeah. And um, I just think we need to, it's to me, all these are a clarion call for us to say, the answer is we just, we just got to teach. We got to teach God's word and be yes. in teaching God's word and trust in that uh, to be the best thing for God's people. Amen. Yeah. When you get to the statement on truth and uh, I'm looking at the yes. evangelical response, this is it too. Like the Bible, this is the statement, the Bible, like all sacred writings contains helpful accounts of ancient myths but is not yeah. literally true yeah. um maybe people have in mind something thinking like of six-day creationism or something like that who knows like but uh there's been a huge shift in the last two years 
In 2020, 15% of evangelicals agreed with that. Now, 26%. So this is so, so, I mean, troubling. So people are then saying, no, it's just like other sacred writings. It's not true. Now, you don't even use... Uh, words that we might disagree with as scholars, like inerrancy, I, I, like I, in our tradition at Wesley Biblical Seminary, we use the word inerrancy and are proud, enthusiastic inerrantists, right. but like some people might not, but just basically saying rather or not the Bible is true. This is, this is really a tough one to see. I'm sorry, but I'm glad that you're letting us know. <laughs> right. It is. And it, and it was a, such a quick dip Yeah, for evangelicals. And, and um, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's dramatic. If you look at it on a general population, the I went back to 2014. Okay. This question for the general population, and it was 41%, and it is now 53% in 2022. Wow. And every year it was just steady, steady, steady. I mean, I think some of that is this cultural moment we find ourselves in. And there is more of an animosity towards scripture as a dangerous book. Right, in right. American culture now that really wasn't existent. Um, it, it doesn't mean everybody believed the Bible to be the word of God and absolutely authoritative and inspired and inerrant, but I think culturally there was a sense of the Bible is the good book and uh, we're in a different cultural moment. And I think that does have an impact on people's view of the Bible. It impacts then even how evangelicals read it. Like, right. Know, exactly. There was a move in a positive direction between 2016 and 2018. It went up and like, or it went, sorry, between 2018 and 2020, it went down. So yeah. there was this positive, like, okay, maybe at least the evangelicals are holding to the right. ground of the, but, but then, then it really popped up. Change. Yeah. 26. I mean, I wonder how much of this is related to sexuality, human sexuality. Like people often are changing because their experiences are changing. And that's, you have a question about sexuality as well. I mean, do you think yeah. that, that that might lead people to want to reject scripture's authority? I think people feel these cultural pressures immensely. And mm. I think they think that they're helping non-Christians or helping people who are struggling with this stuff by, by sort of caving and compromising so they can somehow meet them or somehow introduce them to a kinder God or a more accepting God. Um, and at that house, some that that in some ways doing them a favor when of wow. course we know that the best thing you could do for someone is tell them the truth right. and tell them that they are a sinner and they need a savior, uh, not that whatever they choose is okay and God is okay with that. Um, and I, I think people feel that cultural pressure and they almost again like feel like the more noble thing to do or the good thing to do is to uh relate to that person. Right. Um, and I, I honestly, it's the worst thing we could do for someone to, is to tell them, uh, Oh, God's fine with you. He's oh, not, <laughs> he's yeah. not fine with us. <laughs> that's it's, the truth. Yeah. I, I think that that's the danger of something like the, um, and now I'm hopeful that the kind of proto evangelical approach of, uh, the mm-hmm. ad campaign, he gets us, you know, like, I don't want, like, I, it's trying to do something. It's tr- and I think if you lead people to scripture, lead people to Jesus, absolutely that will then lead. So like, I don't want to go too negatively on that, but I think if we minimize the message so much so that like, it is just like, we're all good. We're all good. And, and God, God gets us. He understands you. Nobody liked him anyways. Um, well, that might, maybe that will lead some people closer, but again, the truth is, we're not good. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and um, 
Yeah. And then I think there is just pressure on people if they don't know the word of God and they're not taught the word of God. It's sort of like a vacuum uh, is going to be filled with something. And, yeah, sure. and there's plenty of voices. I think of our young people, the voices that come at them all the time through uh, their social media uh, yeah. usage. They're, they're, you know, I go back to like what RC said about students, right? I want their minds. There, there's a force at work that says, I want their minds and yeah. it's a battle. We yeah. sense it. The other thing in light of that, with what you're saying too, about the nature of scripture and how like we want to get in and help people think through this in a deeper way. One of the key questions that comes on Christology is yes. this statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Right. There's been a shift. You've said like the survey shows, the survey says, 30% from 20 in 2020, but 43% amongst evangelicals this is agree terrible. with that statement. Yeah. And, I, and this is a huge shift. And it, yeah. yeah, go, go. I'll let you address it. I, I have a few thoughts too. Oh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I, uh -huh. I mean, yeah, the, this is the, the person of Christ is essential to the work of Christ. And that is the gospel. Yeah. And there's another question that gets directly at the gospel about, does God accept the worship of other religions, which is yes, yes. really troubling. So when we have a troubling view on the person of Christ and a troubling view of the work of Christ, we expect it of culture. That's, yeah, yeah. that's they, they need to be taught and hear the gospel. But when it's in self-described and self-proclaimed evangelicals, this, this evangelical has gospel. That's what the name is. And if we don't have a faithful gospel, we have nothing to offer. We're not the church. Right. Um, and so this is very troubling. It's at the center. And I don't think it's because it's a trick question. I don't think it's because you need some theological subtlety to answer this properly. No. I, I think it just shows that people don't know they should believe in the evangelicals don't know they should believe in the deity of Christ. Right. I mean, it's, it's not a trick question. It says Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not like we're not getting into distinctions in the Trinity, not anything like that. This is just a basic understanding of what it means to follow the Orthodox Christian faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. I mean, this is a clear statement. And I think the challenge for me, the, the challenge I want to take as a preacher, but as somebody who's training preachers, is to take this task on. Like, ask yeah. yourself this question if in your church, People might not be able to answer this question. This then should inform not just your preaching, but your discipleship mm. program and everything. I mean, th this this is an essential question for salvation. Right. Absolutely. And and what you're doing with it is exactly our hopes and prayers for this. That this this translates back into the teaching ministry of the church. Mm. One of the things that's interesting as we work through this is like you bring up, you brought it up just a second ago, the idea of Jesus accepts the worship of all religions, including yeah. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, there'd be some who would who would suggest like there's kind of like the um, – Carl Rayner talks about the anonymous Christians. Um, <laughs> maybe those – some would think that it, in Christian – Philosophical theology, a lot of times we divide things between universalists or inclusivists and exclusivists. Right. And some evangelicals have space for there to be an inclusivist view that maybe there's a post-mortem 
uh, evangelical encounter with God. So like, and maybe even taking the line of maybe from C.S. Lewis's last battle. Right. Exactly. exactly. So like, is that part, part are people is more moving in that way or is this all religions are the same? I mean, I, I think you're right. It, so you've got the finer points of inclusivism and exclusivism, and then you've got various inclusivisms, right? right There's right. various ways to get at that. But uh, in in one sense, the idea is, is there, this is really a pluralism question in the sense that if we didn't identify Christianity, Judaism, Judaism, and Islam, you got that beginning question. God accepts the, the worship of all religions. Mm, okay. And I think that's the question that says, uh, what ultimately is salvation found in Jesus Christ or not? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life to the Father or yeah. not? Yeah. Um, and now we're getting at the that, that notion of the gospel, which quite honestly, is very offensive, right? And, sure. and can cause us difficulties uh, as Christians, especially in this very pluralistic 21st century world that we live in. What I find interesting about it too, again, is, as you're talking about, is the trends. Um, and the trends on this one are alarming. And then now you flip the demographics. So if the demographics were helpful on the abortion question, here's where the 18 to 28 year olds are way out ahead in the wrong oh, way wow. ahead of their older counterparts. And here too, like when I was growing up in my little Western Pennsylvania town, um, the, the, uh, the only opposite thing of, well, it was, are the, it was Methodists and Baptists and, and an occasional Catholic, like those were the religions. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, kids like they have, they have Muslims next to them in their classroom and, sure. It's so they're in this pluralistic. So you're going to tell me that my friend that I play with is is not a Christian and or is not going to be in heaven because they were born into a Muslim home and I was born to houses right, right. into a Christian home. And so I think they, that's, again, their moment, their context is culture is very much affecting them rather than what do we do with John 14, 6 and and not just John 14, 6, but yeah. what do we do with all the teaching of the exclusivity of Christ? And then what do we do with our command to evangelize yeah, sure. and proselytize the world? Uh, this, this really removes the need if God accepts the worship let them be. Yeah. Um, it removes the need to evangelize. So this is very troubling and it's, it's worth uh, pondering for a while. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it is something to work through and that doesn't mean we don't have a sensitive, loving approach to people that we don't take those questions from our kids. I hope my kids ask that question at some point. Hmm. I hope all right. kids do like, and at the same time, I want to lead them. If, if I'm going to stake my life on the reality that God has revealed himself in space and time through the scriptures, the old new Testament, if God created the world out of nothing, then he has the ability to shape the way he hmm. determines that reality. And I, I want to be in line with that. And it's, it, it's hard because you, yeah. you show in this study, from 2020 to 2022, um, it moved from 42% to 56%. So and that's just amongst evangelicals, just assuming right. that everybody moves. I can't, I, I didn't get into the specific data, but I don't know if you have it or, or you could just tell me like how much different that is for young people. 
Like you said, they're going the trendy. Yeah, this is about way. a four percent. Wow. Difference. Yeah. So they're so like say they're on that question. They're ahead in the wrong direction. How do you handle that? I, 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 we have some approaches here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, but in your college, at Reformation Bible College, um, do you, even from a curricular standpoint, what are we trying to do to combat that? Yeah, I mean, so we offer one degree. It's a degree in theology. So, okay. so we are we have our our main curriculum is eight semesters of Bible study, uh, Bible survey, eight semesters of systematic theology, one whole class on Christology, and uh, then we also have a true liberal arts. Uh, so we have eight semesters of great works and we oh, okay. wrap Greek and Hebrew around that and biblical theology, church history, philosophy. We wrap some classes around that, but that's the core. And I mean, it's, you know, it's what we do. It's our niche. Um, we're a very small place. We know we're going to be very small. We're intentionally small. Uh, but yeah, I like to say we do, we just do three things here, theology, theology, theology. Um, and, and so we, we make sure they get inoculated to a good historic Christian Orthodox faith. Yeah, I love it. That, that's part of what, when we've, we've just started an undergrad program as well, and we just have one degree like you, just a bachelor's in Christian ministry. Um, hmm. so, sorry, we could just be, could be theology like yours and just be just the same. But one of the things we've done is that we've shifted to even think about our church history course um, courses. We used to have just two church history courses, like traditionally divided into mm -hmm. two segments of history to the reformation, that sort of thing. But we've adapted our curriculum to have a history of Christian thought and just like to really work through to say, like, we want to focus on ideas as much as possible, yeah. theological ideas. So that we're helping people learn to think about what it means to be a Christian right. in our time. Absolutely. So, yeah. Any, these this are is important. Yeah. We, you know, what? this is Paul to Timothy. This is the yeah. deposit of faith that you are entrusted with and you have an obligation generation to generation and it's the historic Christian faith. And that's what we are keepers of. And we've got to make sure the next generation won't catch it. Right. Uh, very intentional and systematic and programmatic in, and teaching it to them. You have two flashpoint questions and, and we'll, I'll try and finish up with these, but I love I know on, where you're on going sexuality and gender. Yeah, so, <laughs> I can guess. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let you set it up. I won't just read the question because yeah. I can tell the language is very specific. And just to tell me how you approach developing these questions and then what, what you found. Uh, so I wrote these two. I knew exactly where you were going. And <laughs> um, we, we saw what was happening with transgenderism. And we know what scripture says about male and female, that these are not social constructs. And so we put a question in that's going to get right at it. Uh, yeah. Gender identity is a matter of choice. Wow. Or statement, rather. Gender identity is a matter of choice. And then the other one, and we worded this one very purposefully because we don't want to get into the debate of, you know, does, does the Bible allow for homosexuality? Uh, what's going on with David and Jonathan and all that sort of nonsense that goes on sometimes in biblical interpretation. Yeah. I, let's avoid that altogether. Let's put it this way. The Bible's teaching on homosexual behavior no longer applies today. That's it, man. So we're not going to debate what, what Paul said, and we're not going to debate that, but, the, but is it a passe book? Is it time to move on? And so those are as two hot button culture issues as you possibly get, but they're very, they're, they're, they get right at the heart of Genesis one to three and the foundation of the 
natural order of things. Yeah, sure. Of creation of human beings in the image of God, creation of male and female, and heterosexual marriage. Um, so on the on the gender one, as I look at it, if I remember, the general population was 38% of agreeing with gender is uh, gender identity is a matter of choice in 2016. And 2022, it's 42%. So not a huge increase, but it's slowly moving up. Uh, when you put that uh, question to evangelicals, in 2016, it was 32%, so a little bit behind the general population. It went up to 37%. Wow. So again, it's steadily increasing as culture is steadily increasing. So it's a little bit behind where the general population is, but it's steadily increasing. And then uh, the homosexuality uh, question, um, culture, again, in 2016 was 42%. In 2022, it was 46%. In the um, uh, evangelical world, it was 19 percent mm. in 2016, but 28 wow. percent in 2022. So that's a big jump. Uh, so again, it's behind the general population, but the trend is that it's getting closer every year. So yeah. those are two questions that you know they are. You could say they're political, but I also think they are biblical and theological, and um, it's interesting to keep an eye on them. You know, we, I have uh, some pastors I've talked to who I think would, they would say in, in my office or in their offices, I meet with them, they affirm uh, biblical orthodoxy as it relates to human sexuality, but they've said to me, well, I, I'm not going to ever preach about it. I'm not going to hmm. teach about it. And yeah. because it's too divisive, there'll be people in the room who are going through things and I, I don't have enough time to be clear. Um, yeah. To me, I think well, that is exactly why we get to this place where uh, it was 11% in 2020 and now 28% is because we're not teaching on it, like on all of these subjects. Um, yeah. So keep keep doing that and we'll see what happens. To me, that's a recipe for the church moving away from the-, the Exactly, because they are getting, someone's teaching them on this. Right. Can I share, can I share a quick story? Please do. We, we do these apologetics conferences called Always Ready for Youth. Okay. And we did one out in California. And that we do these talks, you know, is Jesus the only way? Can I trust the Bible? Uh, what about other religions? But we always end with a QA. and a and um, they, they line up. And this young lady, she couldn't have been more than 13 years old. And her question to me was, what do I say to my friends who are pressuring me from the LGBTQ community, who are pressuring me to join them? Mm. And I said, let me make sure I get this right. They're not, they're not asking you what you think about them. They're, they're actually pressuring you to become participate in what they do. Yeah. And she said, yeah, what do I say to them? Mm. And I mean, honestly, you know, I'm a, my, we have a teenager at home and then a 20 and 18 year old and then a 14 year old. I mean, how does this not break your heart Yeah. Uh, of the pressure this young lady is facing from her classmates? Yeah. And so we need to tell her what God thinks yeah. about these things. That's what she needs to know. Uh, she doesn't need to know what her 13-year-old peers think because right. they're not thinking rightly. She needs to know what God thinks. And she needs someone to come alongside her and tell her, this is what God thinks. And, you know, it might be difficult for you to stand up for this, but 
this is what God thinks and that's all that matters. And you need to stand firm on this. Yeah, absolutely. But just to your point, yeah, if you're, if we're not teaching and preaching this stuff, it should not surprise us at all where people end up in answering these questions. And I'm going to be fairly bold to say, like, if you, if you've been involved with the church for a while and your pastor doesn't address these important issues of our, like the most significant cultural issues of our time, you might need to question if this, if, if you're in line with this same tradition, if you want to be a part of a progressive movement, progressive denomination that doesn't affirm these truths that are in this survey, then, and, or if any of these questions are not addressed, is this a place where you want your children to be catechized? Is this a place where you want your children to be decided or you yourself to be discipled? So I just, this, this tool is helpful because it, we, we can't, we have no more space for kind of like cultural Christianity. This cuts through hey. Stephen. I so appreciate yeah. the yeah, way that right. you and Ligonier have taken the time to give us this barometer of what's going on. Is there anything else that you'd like to highlight that maybe I didn't ask about that is a, that came through in this most recent survey? Uh, no, no, you hit the highlights and I uh, appreciate your, your putting a light on this for folks and um, for your circle and for those that, that you engage with in your seminary there. So this has been a delightful conversation with you and Thank you. Uh, really Thank appreciate you. Your, you. your interest. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, really. Well, Steve, one thing I always ask is um, the title of my podcast is more to the story. So I just I'm curious, is there more to the story of Stephen Nichols than is normally to told? Do you have a hobby? Is there something <laughs> that you don't talk about when you go on a podcast? Uh, I usually don't like to talk about myself because I just, you know, want to talk about the the work, the ministry uh, that we do. Um, I guess my hobby is a pretty boring one. I like distance running. So oh, do you? OK, there you go. You've done how, how many marathons have you done? Do you do marathons? Yeah, I've done a couple, but I think those days are behind me. It uh, the issue is time. I can't, yeah, sure. I can't find time to train for these things. Uh, so I'm half the man I used to be. I do half marathons. Oh, these there you days. go. And I can find the time for those. And you know, I was in Pennsylvania for years, and that was hills, but. We're flatlanders down here, as you oh, remember man. from your yes, time. Yes, I do. Florida. I love I love jogging in Florida. That was great. <laughs> it's not <laughs> except bad. for the summer. When it gets July, August gets a little rough, but you know, but when yeah, I go out at, at 5 a.m. in the summer and I'd realize I was sweating about two seconds in. Uh, I would, yeah. I was missing the Midwest. There is that. I'll grant you that. <laughs> well, th Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for your work at Ligonier yeah. and Reformation Bible College. We'll have uh, links to both groups. We, uh, we really appreciate your ministry. Thanks for your time too today. Oh, my pleasure. This has been delightful. Thanks so much.